friends, and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Well, coming up on the show today, Canonical recently announced a brand new project with the goal to create an immutable desktop out of their Ubuntu core project. So today, we're going to give the all-snap distro a try, the Ubuntu core desktop. It's brand new. We're going to tell you about it and share our thoughts about using it and all of that. We'll round out the show with a really great pick, some great boosts, and a lot more. So before we go any further, I want to say good morning to our friends at Tailscale. Tailscale is a flat mesh VPN where your machines talk directly to each other, protected by WireGuard. You can set it up in minutes. It is the next generation of VPNs. It's what we hoped WireGuard would make possible. Go upgrade your VPN technology and try it for free for up to 100 devices. It's not a limited time thing. 100 devices at tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. And time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Welcome in. Hello, Chris. Hello, Brent. Nice to see the showing uh, popping back up now that we're getting on our regular schedule. Hello to all of you up there in the quiet listening, too. Nice to see some 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 familiar faces in there, some long timers stopping in today. Aww. I'm really looking forward to today's topic because uh, Brent and I were just kind of talking on the on the live stream that this is one of those episodes where we were all kind of geeking out at the same time over the, we basically spent our whole weekend playing with Ubuntu core and then chatting in real time while we were trying different stuff and giving each other hot tips and challenging each other to try different things. So this is one of those episodes that uh, we spent the whole weekend just playing around with, and we're really looking forward to sharing what we found. So let's start with a bit of show news in housekeeping. And Brent's going to be in Berlin coming up on July 22nd, maybe the week after. That's still kind of in flex, right, Brent? I think it's it's fair to those who are trying to attend to lean heavy on July 22. Uh, if that needs to change, or maybe I'll just have two meetups. I mean, that's what happened last time. Uh, we'll be sure to let you know. So please join the Berlin Buds Matrix Room if you can. There's information streaming in there constantly and lots of suggestions on places to eat and places that I didn't try last time or see last time. Um, so join us in there and updates will be shared. Uh, but please also RSVP on the meetup page so we have an idea of how many people might be interested. And uh, I will update as soon as we get, you know, solid location and all of that stuff. But we'd love to see you uh, if we can. It's going to be great. Berlin's so much fun. Brent had to go back and do it again. Uh, just also a couple of network developments we want you to be aware of. We're trying something brand new with our Office Hours show, which is a show that we make specifically for the Jupiter Broadcasting community. We have details at office.hair slash 32. And we're going to a full value for value model. No sponsorships on that. And we'll have milestones that we have that we're looking for for production releases. And all the details and the brand new format are in Office Hours 32. And we'll have more details in 33 as well. It's a big experiment. So if you're curious to see what we're experimenting with, check it out over there. It's stuff that now you don't have to hear about in Linux Unplugged too. And then one last thing that we want you to know about, because this one may impact the show a little bit. During this ad apocalypse summer that we seem to be entering, it is uh, ad winter for podcasts, and the industry is going through some big shifts in the way that advertising is done. And so while these transitions are taking place, and while we kind of want to determine the best route for Linux Action News, and while we're looking for the right sponsors, because we don't currently have them for Linux Action News, we're putting it on hiatus. We're calling it a summer break. We're hoping it's just for the summer. 
It's really that is going to be driven by the ad market. And we have more details in Linux Action News 299. So linuxactionnews.com slash 299. And what we're going to do in the meantime is if there's a big story that, that really deserves some attention, we'll probably just start Linux Unplugged off with that story. Kind of like we used to do back in the old days. We'd kind of talk about one or two major news stories. And when Linux Action News started, we kind of took that out a lot. We're going to kind of bring it back for a little bit while Linux Action News is on hiatus. We'll miss it already. This, I sure do. Have you realized this is the first week that we're not doing it? Yeah. It's, it's odd. It's weird. It's, it's weird. The timing worked out because it's a self-hosted week for me. So it gave me a little more bandwidth. So that's nice, too. I was about to say, you know, I don't, and it's not going to be really a hole. It's more of a question of uh, what's going to decide to fill that time. Probably, uh, probably self-hosted. Um, I wonder though. We'll see. It's, I, I'm, I'm kind of using the opportunity of slow ads instead of trying to go crazy and, and just ram a bunch of different stuff in and, and get a bunch of deals. I'm, I'm going to just kind of live leaner and meaner as long as I can. I might not be able to sustain it for very long and use that downtime to kind of just um, I don't know, have a little more bandwidth in life and just yeah. see what happens. Cause I don't really know. It's been so long. I don't lean into the things you're uh, trying to do. Yeah. You've got a lot going on. I mean, you know, Linux action is every week and it was at episode 299. This shows every single week. Right. So just that alone is a lot to keep up with. And then you sprinkle in office hours and self-hosted and anything extra that we're doing. And it's, um, it's a lot. So I thought Plus, we, we got Star Trek to watch. Yeah. While the, <laughs> while the things are slow. Uh, I'll pull back a little bit. And then when things pick back up, we'll come back with Linux Action News 300. We just wanted you all to be aware of that because you may hear us talking about some news stories if something's worth discussing in a future episode of Linux Unplugged. And uh, that's kind of where you'll find that in the meantime. So just a few weeks ago, Canonical announced they are extending the Ubuntu Core project into the desktop realm and that this would be their foray into an immutable desktop completely based on snaps. Now, Ubuntu Core, that's been around for a really long time. And here's how Canonical pitches it. Ubuntu Core is an app-centric embedded operating system based on Ubuntu from Canonical. All components are containerized in snaps with the benefit of a lean footprint, security hardening, and composable system images. It is trusted by IoT leaders to realize their project. With an app-centric Ubuntu, developers can focus on building apps while low-level components are provided and maintained by Canonical. This enables teams of any size to build highly secure embedded devices quickly and cost-effectively. And we've been following this immutable desktop trend for quite a while. We've talked about Silverblue on the show. We've talked about Nix and some other OS tree-based ones. I think uh, isn't, um, I think another one we've mentioned before on the show is Endless. And this is Canonical's take on it. And they're enabling it all with snaps. And the promise that they write, uh, this is something that was posted on their blog by Oliver Smith a few weeks ago. The promise they write is enabling the easy swapping out of different components. They say security. It's more difficult for malicious software to make changes to the system. They claim also that they believe this will be more stable because system files can't be altered or deleted by accident. It's also reproducible, so you can have OSs that are, have identical builds from boot to boot. And it's manageable, you know, especially if you tie it in with something like Juju or if you just manage Snap centrally. They say it has a lot of benefits. There are some drawbacks, some reduced flexibility, some limited compatibility. It needs more storage in some cases, and the developer experience is a little more complicated. But um, 
you know, it seems that this is their attempt to kind of say this is our offering and we think we can start with Ubuntu Core and build the desktop on top of that. And I'm kind of actually surprised this wasn't already a thing. But Ubuntu Core has really had that IoT focus. It's really had that server-side focus. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just a very different experience. I just I, I hadn't used it for a long time, so I figured I'd try it as part of this just little experiment. And when you, when you first stand up a regular Ubuntu Core system, it doesn't even have a normal setup process. It sort of auto-expands, configures things, and then presents you with a prompt to log in with your canonical Ubuntu Pro ID, which will then use to fetch from your account an SSH key that it'll configure for the box, and then you can log into it. Yeah, there's, so you, there's you no gotta use regular TTY. There's right. no you got to use your you got to use your canonical single sign-on account. And you can tell it's just it's optimized for some specific, you know, edge IoT type yeah. applications where you've got the stuff out there in the fields. It's going to call home anyway. It's going to get configured. Um, but yeah, it is make, kind of that makes maybe the transition to using at least some of that in the desktop space a little more, you know, obviously they've got the snap side, but there's all the other pieces to make it a consistent experience. Yeah. What do you think about signing into your desktop using a single sign on from Canonical? I might depend on the context. Mm. It might it would it could make sense on my um you know if it's like tied into my single sign on from my employer right right it's an employer it provided home, system though. yeah yeah at home I don't know if that makes as much sense does it but if it's an employer provided system uh, yeah maybe okay uh, all right I gotta say gentlemen I uh I didn't have to sign into anything so I I wonder if we took different routes or something but um oh no that was just when I was using the main Ubuntu core not the desktop uh, but like experimental desktop builds that we've been trying out. Got it. Okay, we'll get to how we solved that problem in a second here, I think. But uh, I was curious about the article that Chris, you mentioned that Oliver wrote. Um, just about the, the it, it showcased a variety of different ways of tackling the idea of an immutable desktop. And we've seen a few different strategies. It seems maybe with Canonical's approach, it's a little bit different. Although I wanted to kind of lean on your expertise and see what you think. They call it composable. You know, it's immutable, immutability plus composability. And I think they just kind of broke it up into a, many more slices so that you don't have quite as much of a immutable, you know, OS level blob with applications on top. Curious what you guys think and what you think's an advantage here. This is tricky because there's so many different takes at how to do immutable. Right. Like in Canonical's examples here, they really don't they really don't describe how Nix does it. And I actually think I prefer Nix's approach the most. Um, the applications are included in that base system and I rebuild and they get updated. Their vision is you have everything kind of isolated. The kernel is its own snap. The things you need to bring the system up, the base layer is a snap layer. I think even SnapD itself is a snap, incredibly. And then all of the apps on top of them, this is where the modularity and their claim of composability comes from, is you could define an Ubuntu Core desktop that you just predefined has these snaps installed. And when you, when you generate that image, it will deploy it with those things pre-installed, those individual components. And there's so many damn things that are snapped up. It's like the entire KDE application suite is over there, right? Like you could pretty much add anything to your base system and then build the image and it's in there, but they're all snaps, um, which you guys had a lot of fun playing around with. I think uh, we'll get to that in a moment, but I think as opposed to like a Chrome OS model or a Mac OS model where they're doing image based updates and they're flipping images, right. Or in the case of uh, like silver blue world, switch switching OS tree or in the case of OpenSUSE, where it's actually using ButterFS to do snapshots and it's 
switching between file system layer snapshots. What they're doing here is each component is a modular snap, and they're updating it through the snap mechanism. They're adding it through the snap mechanism. Uh, so it's not like through at a file system layer. It's more at like a snap level, but all of the components are snaps. Yeah, it looks like they've got some hooks set up with SnapD2 now. So like as these updates happen, then SnapD can make sure whatever other little bits of actions might need to happen on the system. Like if you update the gadget snap, which is the bootloader and default configuration and stuff, or the kernel, right? If you update the kernel, you probably need to go make sure all the boot systems are up to date and aligned with the new system. But yeah, you've got, you know, your kernel can update at whatever cadence. And then as you, if you're happy, as long as you're happy packaging and deploying via the snap setup, yeah, it's sort of a, just a minimal, like here's the most robust minimal setup we can give you to run snaps on top of. And then you as a developer, right? Part of the whole snap idea is like, you're then in control of handling, at least via the store, deploying and updating your snap, and then the systems will all just consume it. Now, you get everything from the desktop environment layered on top there. Let's talk about your experiences using it. Do you guys think maybe first we should briefly cover how you get the images and all that? Because it's not maybe immediately obvious, and we could make it a little bit easier with a couple of links in the show notes. So I think like one thing we should toss in there is the Ubuntu Core desktop GitHub. Because you can find an image to download on Canonical's Mirror, but it seems like if you want the desk, if you want to try the immutable desktop version of Ubuntu, the best place to get a current image is actually from the GitHub project. And you have to be signed in, and then there's an image link that you can download, and you can extract that. I think that's where we should send people, right? That seems to be the best image to get their hands on. Yeah, that's what we've been playing with anyway. And this is probably a signifier of the state of things generally, right? It wasn't that long ago that we saw this, you know, this post on the blog. And uh, maybe this is something of a preview, preview, preview. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's just early. output from CI actions. We're just trying them as yep. they come out. And uh, it's not clear exactly what's expected to work and what isn't yet. Yeah, and I think maybe like the real first public like beta try, this is going to be in April of next year, probably, uh, is kind of what they've implied. So that's this is early days. But if you want to try it, that's where you that's where you go. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and I kind of see this as a very fascinating experiment by Canonical because if you're really all in on the Ubuntu landscape, just picture the possibility, boys. You can manage and deploy all of this with Juju and you need to deploy Ubuntu Core out there to your edge devices. You package your special vendor app and stuff, your dashboard or whatever it is. You package that up as a snap. You deploy this as part of a snap. Um, you could do this for servers. You could do this for IoT devices, but you could also see how a composable Ubuntu like this that's really rock solid would be awesome for, say, factory floor stations where people have a Libre sheet up all the time and they're entering in numbers. Or maybe you got like a kind of just set of work machines where people just sit down and they do email and they do spreadsheet and they do web browsing and you want to be able to just roll out updates to those things and keep them compliant simply and quickly. And they've already got Slack and Firefox ready to go. They log in. They, yeah. Mm -hmm. You could see if you're already in Ubuntu shop and if, if you're using some of the Ubuntu management services too, so you can deploy and update some of this stuff remotely. Mm, it gets real spicy. And, uh, you know, say what you will about snaps, and there's plenty to say, but compared to trying to figure out, like, targeting sort of regular Linux desktops, you've at least got maybe a more directed, streamlined, and yeah. quote-unquote modern setup for developers that you got to say, like, hey, go run this on here. At least you've got, you know, you've got the Snapcraft tooling, you've got a YAML file to write in, and you've got some guides to, you know, to get started. And a community. Um, so this is the value prop. Does it live up to this? Eh, we'll get to that. I'm curious, too, like we've seen a variety of immutable Linux desktops come about in the last several years. I mean, we touched on many, many of them last summer in our summer of immutability. I'm curious if you boys think that 
um, this is canonical trying to kind of keep up. So they're like, oh, well, we should probably have one of these two because everyone else seems to have it. So this is a hedge on maybe future compute. Or do you think they're actually really trying to put a lot of um, effort into this to make it something really special? Well, you know, as, as you say, Brent, uh, I don't think it's my cup of tea. But the reason why I am interested in this project is because I do feel like it is a bit of a validation of the concept in space. I'm not saying I think cano- this isn't canonical saying this is the desktop of the future for everybody. But I think it is canonical saying we think this is an important enough category that we're going to dedicate resources behind it. And now it seems like every major Linux distro vendor is doing that. It's also sort of an interesting test case validation of stress test of the Snap ecosystem and like what's available in Snaps. And then also how well can the technology stretch to like really do well as a cohesive system that packages everything in Snaps, including the tricky graphical desktop layers. Linode.com slash unplugged. Head on over there to get $100 in 60-day credit and support the show. And while you're there, check out the exciting news. Linode's now part of Akama. All the developer-friendly tools, like that cloud manager that's just beautifully built, the API that has all the documentation and libraries you could ever want, and the CLI client that's my go-to for uploading to their S3-compatible object storage or just taking a snapshot of my rig. All that stuff that helps you build and deploy, that's just getting better. It's still there, and now it's combined with Akamai's power and global reach. And they're investing big. They're going to expand services and offer more data centers and cloud computing resources, more tooling, making sure, though, to maintain that reliable, affordable, and scalable solution for an individual or a business of any size. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, the data centers are expanding into brand new locations, going to give more access and more resources to more people to help you grow your business and serve customers, or maybe it's projects, maybe it's a client. You're going to have even more options and more flexibility. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Head over to linode.com slash unplug to learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud to the edge. And it's a great way to support the show. With that $100, you can really kick the tires and see if it works for you. So head on over right now. It's linode.com slash unplugged. Now, I wanted to share how I got this running on my system. Uh, Wes, you probably did it some crazy wacky way that we'll hear about in a second here. Um, But I ended up using GNOME boxes. And Chris, you touted the benefits of GNOME boxes for its simplicity in the pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-show for members. And I totally agree. Like, uh, I did have to kind of play with it to get it working, though. So I thought I'd give listeners a few tips. Um, Once you've grabbed the image, which we have linked to and is fairly straightforward, uh, you do have to uncompress it. But not just once. You do have to uncompress it twice because there's an image.zip. And in that, there's a pc.tar.gz. And in that, there's a pc.img, which is what you're looking for. So somehow it goes from like a 400 meg file to a 12 gig file after all that, which is (laughs) impressive. Yeah. And then, so once you've got that kind of setup, you've got your image ready to go. In GNOME boxes, you can kind of trick it to get some settings that are going to work for you. So what I did was I created a new VM from a file, chose Ubuntu, I don't know, the latest LTS 2204. And that kind of sets some defaults for you. And the most important one is it offers the ability to choose UEFI as a boot sequence, which is essential. Uh, So you need to make sure to do it in a way that you can offer that to your VM. And I don't think, Wes, that that's true of the regular Ubuntu core, but it seems true for the desktop build, at least. Is that what you saw? 
Yeah, it seemed like Ubuntu Core had some compatibility um, to support legacy BIOS systems. Yeah, okay. uh, whereas, yeah, if you tried to boot this build anyway, it just says, uh, please try again on an EFI system. Which, thankfully, yeah, as Brent, you're noticing, these days is uh, easier and easier to do even in virtualized environments. Agree completely. The other trick I would say is uh, I initially tried this in a VM with about 8 gigs of RAM. And that seems fine, uh, but I did run into issues where I did the install process, which is kind of automated and a beautiful thing to just watch. Um, and then it, my system just grinded down to a halt when I was trying to add usernames and go through kind of the initial setup process. And so I tested it again with more RAM, and it seemed like that problem never existed. Now, I will say the system with 8 gigs that I installed, once I kind of grindingly got through that process, uh, I rebooted it, and then it was super snappy. Uh -huh. See what I just – I didn't mean that. Hey, yo. Um, it was really fast after that. So it might just be some artifacts from the install process that caused that slowdown. I mean, it's super early days. But anyways, it, that's a little hint as well, I would say. Well, so that was one of the, I think, most obvious questions that people are going to have when they want to hear about using a fully snap-based system. Uh, what the heck's the performance like? Is it is it dog slow? I know, Wes, you tried it in VM and on physical hardware. What were your observations about the performance of a fully snapped-up Ubuntu? Hmm. You know, there's enough going on that it was a little hard to tell because I have not run it on a... I did run it on... A non-virtualized setup, but it was running off a flash drive, so disk operations uh, okay. were slow. Okay, the disk operations in the VM are snappy, but it's still a VM with mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. right now it's LLVM pipe graphics, etc. But I'd say GNOME felt like GNOME. So on the that side of it, I was kind of impressed. Yeah, and then I I noticed like application launching seemed to be pretty consistent with what you'd expect on Ubuntu. I don't know, maybe some stuff is pre-mounted or. Or how it works with Snaps exactly. But what about you, Brent? How did you feel the performance was? Of everything that was installed by default, which is quite minimal given this is, you know, early days. Uh, that stuff seemed very snappy when it was, you know, when I solved that sort of 8 gig issue. But under normal, you know, a fresh boot, it, it seemed quite performant for me in a VM. You know, that's a big asterisk there. Where it did sort of break down was trying to install other snaps that weren't installed by default what we tried to install a few things and i think this is where it comes down to like there are a few interesting cases to solve here my go-to chris as you sort of taught me <laughs> just try installing htop see what happens and uh, of course there's a snap for that i installed it and it kind of had a hard time but i think that's related to it being just a terminal application and there's some permission stuff going on there i think the real point i'm trying to make is i also tried to install vlc which installed great but i really couldn't it just wasn't it would never launch and i was really disappointed by that but in sort of a turn of events i did a reboot and then it launched and worked the oh. the downside was it took like 20, 25 seconds to sort of come up. For, I don't know if that's an initial snap state, a lot of, I don't know, caching going on there or something. Uh, but So that was slightly disappointing, I would say. Uh, but things like Firefox yeah. came up really quickly. And uh, I also chose to install Thunderbird, which wasn't installed by default. And that came up really quickly too. So there's some stuff to look into there, but it was kind of a mixed bag, I would say. 
Yeah, that's one of the angles where it's a little hard with this super early look to tell exactly what's supposed to work and, and what's not. So as Brent, Brent mentioned, there are, you know, there are plenty of terminal snaps out there, CLI-focused snaps. So far, I haven't got any of those to work, even though like they would, you know, I have used them on other snap-based systems. But you're also in a user that doesn't have sudo, that has various errors. There's a, there's a ton of different errors you, when you look at the logs or sort of try to do things like you seem to be restricted from accessing any file that begins with a dot in your home dir, so you can't go add stuff in there. You know, I think there are ways for the system to do it, but just as a user using like GNOME Terminal, for example. So there's definitely, you know, this is not a normal system and it's not clear what all has or will need to be adapted to make it work. But some stuff still just works. It's still kind of an Ubuntu system. Like I was able to download the regular Reaper binary and run that and downloads after I gave Firefox home dir permission in the snap store so okay. that I could access and <laughs> oh. actually do downloads. Okay. Um, uh, so it's an, it's an interesting environment. That's mm. for sure. The other thing that's, I think, noteworthy about it is there's a couple and i think they're flutter based desktop apps that they're shipping in here and brent you played around with kind of this workshop app yeah i know anytime we try a new distribution i always go diving to see if you know you can find a little something you didn't expect and for me this time around that was an application here called workshops and i didn't find that name very descriptive. I was like, I've not heard of this before. And it only had a little terminal icon. So I was very curious. Of course, I have to click on this thing. And uh, it turns out it's an LXD based VM and container manager that uh, at least I didn't know about. But we did include in the show notes some links both to the GitHub and Snap Store uh, workshops. If you look for it in the Snap Store, it doesn't come up in searches. Uh, which is very curious, although I was able to find a link to it. So it's, I don't know what's going on there, but um, Wes, did you get a chance to look into this or at least some of the parts on GitHub? Cause I'm curious what you think, how new it, you think it is and uh, it's potential here. Yeah. I looked at it a little bit. I did try it. Um, it's minimal, but uh, enjoyable, easy to use. I like that it, you know, you can have graphical and audio connections set up. It's got enough power to do that, but you can also just have it spin up like a terminal for you. Um, so I think this is maybe playing in a similar space to what you get with tools like Fedora Toolbox, where it's sort of a, all right, well, you've got this immutable sort of hard to change user land that you're dumped into here. You probably need an area where you have more control to test tools, make tools that are going to be used in other environments, set up dev environments, and uh, workshops looks like a a nice way to do that. Yeah, it has a lot of things. It has Amazon Linux, Kali Gentoo. OpenSUSE, Oracle, Alma Rocky, you can go and then you can get their individual releases and then it'll create that environment for you. Uh, it, it's like, it's like the, it's like the idea of, like you said, Wes, is the idea of Fedora Toolbox, but I'd say like taken maybe to like the next, I, the next level. Like if you would take Toolbox and took it a little bit further forward and created a Flutter based GUI to go, to go with it. But it gives you an example of some of the tooling they're building in, which I think is pretty neat. You also had some mixed results with like software updates and whatnot, right, Brent? Yeah, I didn't quite end up understanding how updates occur. I in the fresh snap store that they include there, it seemed like you can choose when some of the snaps update, which as far as I'm been aware up to date, snaps have often just updated in the background. I would imagine that perhaps adds a little well, I'll be curious to see how they do it in the future, but I did have an update to Ubuntu Core 22 which was curious 
because I was grabbing the freshest image. Um, and that just lingered seemingly forever and had, you know, pegged my CPU to probably at least 10% of SnapD just kind of sitting there doing that. And it never came around. I mean, there's work to do there, I think. I think you had that update or it's possible to have an update because think about it. Like they're just bundling whatever the latest is at build time in, I think, when they build that initial system. And then because they're, sure. all, they're all modular snaps, they can update that up that separate core snap right. separately whenever. Fair enough. I guess uh, now I feel slightly embarrassed because that's kind of the whole point, right? The, all these pieces can update individually and not necessarily affect the others. But we're also so used to having a, you know, traditional install process where instead of expanding from some like seed thing, you, you know, you go, especially if you have network access anyway, you just go install all the latest packages right out of the repo. But a different world. So kind of looking at what we've seen so far, I don't feel like we can come to a final judgment, but it is a very canonical approach to this problem. It's, it's so would have been simpler to do this at the file system layer. It would have been infinitely simpler. And a lot of the edge cases that you gentlemen have talked about implemented that way, where you just do like an image swap at boot or something like that, probably would have made this simpler. But I could see the advantage to the individual modularity level. That is a little bit trickier to do on most Linux distributions, and they're solving a problem that sometimes is a big use case for certain enterprises. Right. I mean, including stuff like, at least if you're only like allowing or using strictly confined snaps, that you have a modern approach that you expect from, you know, like the mobile world for allowing permissions to and from things yeah. that you would not get with a more traditional sort of desktop, even with, uh, you know, immutable layers. Yeah, I don't think it's for us. I mean, I don't know, Brent, maybe maybe you want to stick with it. I mean, what are your thoughts? I don't think, are any of us really sticking with this? Well, I will say this is the first time I'm excited about something Ubuntu in quite a while. Oh, really? Yeah, I came out of this feeling like, huh, I'm actually like really kind of curious where this is going to head. And I, I would play with this like every couple of months to see what they're what they're doing. Um I don't know if it would be for me because I don't think we have the whole picture yet. I mean, it's kind of early, mm. but it seems like maybe this actually is a really nice use of snaps. And I want to see where that goes. Their effort behind that uh, that Steam snap, you know, their gaming snap thing they're working on, kind of makes a little bit more sense in this world, doesn't it? I, I was thinking I could, you know, I, I wouldn't mind trying and setting up a gaming setup with something like this and just installing Steam that way and kind of knowing that, I didn't try to use it for anything else. It would just stay like that and right. work and be right. easy to reset up and reconfigure. Wes did kind of challenge me to try Steam. And I was actually very excited because it came up and did the regular Steam updates, uh, which I thought was at least a huge success. But then every time after that, I tried to launch it. It just never did anything. So <laughs> wah, wah. I wonder if something like that would work better if we had this on like a real box with like a real yeah, graphics maybe. setup and yeah real goopoo in there yeah one of those i want to get the pulse from the audience so boost in and let us know what your take is on immutable desktops if you think it's for you if you've tried them if you're avoiding them because like the this is trying to solve that customizability problem right this is where you can mix and match and make it your own and uh they're it's their take on it at least so let us know what you think about it because we're trying to gauge where the audience is at on this. Uh, I'm happy to see him work on it. I'm definitely going to check it in. In fact, I was thinking like, I'll probably just be, this would be one of the spins, quote unquote, I try now. 
at every like major release. It might be the thing that makes me learn more about snaps. I was definitely yeah. feeling hindered just because I want to get into like the weird, you know, the, the nitty gritty stuff and tweak it and figure out what you can tweak and rebuild. Uh, I'm going to need to learn more about snaps and snap around. Yeah, I could tell that my snap, my snap foo had gotten a little rusty. And I will admit that the aesthetic of all of those mounts does still bother me. And I'm kind of just honestly surprised that they haven't aliased the flags to just clear that stuff up. I mean, I guess technically you want it, but I'd rather have to see all those loop mounts and whatnot with a flag. I think they do on in here anyway. Oh, okay. At least a, a little, well, yeah, DF doesn't show them. Ooh, I did a mount that's and nice. saw all of them. So yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what what about when you do LSBK? Like that's a mess. It's just the mounts the one that really gets me because I just want I want I actually want to see what <laughs> physical devices are mounted. That's all I really want. And I just wish they would alias the flags and just give me that behavior like it was on a regular Linux system. I know it's a small aesthetic thing. Although here they're probably even more important because uh, you know yeah. they're a big chunk of Azure system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just feel like I got to live with it. Embrace but, the snaps. I mean. Honestly, guys, when you see it, doesn't it kind of gross you out a little bit to see all those mounts and everything? It just looks like a mess, right? I I don't love them on my regular Linux systems, but somehow here they bother me less. I feel like maybe maybe it's the old computer guy in me, but like these software file, you know, user space mount things were never really the best, most reliable. And then you just you build a whole thing around them and then you have to put it in my face. I just... I've, I've struggled with that since snaps have come out, and I thought for sure I'd get used to it, and it still to this day bothers me a little bit. And maybe I'm alone. I don't know. If you're out there, if you feel me, let me know. You know, clean mount crew represent. That's what I say. But uh, I'm really, I am really, I, I tease, but I am really happy to see it. And we'll definitely be keeping an eye on the Ubuntu Core desktop. We'll have links in the notes. Collide.com slash unplugged. If you work in security or if you're in IT and your company has Okta, this message is really for you. Have you noticed that the past few years, like the majority of data breaches and hacks that you read about seem to all have something in common? It's employees. It, sometimes it's an employee's device gets hacked because of maybe some unpatched software. Sometimes employees leave data in the wrong places. And, you know, there's always just phishing attacks that happen to everyday employees all the time. The problem here isn't really the end users. It's the solutions that are supposed to be protecting these end users. And it doesn't really have to be this way where it's always a burden for IT. Imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. In this world, say fish credentials, they're useless to hackers. And you can manage all your devices, even Linux desktops, from a single dashboard. And best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without having to create more work for IT. It gives them the information and instructions on how to do it. The good news is Collide solves all of this. You can start right now by going to collide.com slash unplugged. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and they ensure that if a device isn't trusted and secure, just can't log into your cloud apps. So go to kolide.com slash unplugged to see a demo on how it all works and support the show. It's collide.com slash unplugged. In response to last week's episode, we saw a lot of chatter in our matrix rooms and lots of really intelligent discussion happening. Uh, I know I was in there sort of gaining new perspectives. But one listener, Paul, wrote in and gave us uh, his perspective. He says uh, Red Hat's end goals are pretty agreed upon. 
Paul also uh, disagrees with Red Hat's public messaging and the rapid system changes. It says uh, the decision to end support for CentOS Linux 8 before the expected 10-year support window was quite a disappointment. And also changing the terms caused a clone problem within the CentOS community, which... Hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think that point there is... I think that point is one criticism we maybe could have hit a little harder is this is an enterprise Linux community and they really need to digest stuff over a long period of time. And Red Hat is fully aware of that. That's how they make their money. That's their business model. You know, is these like 10 year life support cycles and whatnot. And they put so much engineering resources into enabling enterprises to move at their slow pace. That's like the fundamental foundation there. And so you think that would be how they would orient their communications is it would be in that sort of enterprise focus first, where if we're going to make a radical change, we're going to give you a year heads up. That's this is why we're a multi-billion dollar company, because we can afford to work in these 10 year timeframes or these multi-year timeframes. And we're going to give you at least until the end of this product before we make this change. And that would have gone over a lot better. So I think Paul's point there is good. And, and I think. You know, I have a, a lot of respect for all the work Red Hat does um, and all of our friends that work at Red Hat. And I think they're one of the great tech companies. But, man, have they just really bombed communication, especially over the last few years, over and over again. And I think they acknowledge that because that's why that second post about the change in the RHEL source RPM releases, that second post by Mike McGrath was a lot more raw and honest. And I think it was after some reflection of, boy, we really kind of blew the initial communication there. Um, so I agree, Paul, that really the timing of it all really kind of stinks, right? And then if you combine this particular event and you associate it with the CentOS stream transition and the way that particular event was handled and the time frame that was given for there, yeah, you're right. Paul says they need to improve communication and they need to do slower implementations to address these community concerns. Uh, and he thinks that Red Hat needs to kind of have a think about the way they message. Don't know if they will. Right. But I think, Paul, I think we could have been more critical in our in our take on that in that particular area. Um, I also had a realization after reading Paul's email and kind of getting feedback. This is some folks' first go around with a big rug pull like this. Right. Like those of us that are getting up there in age, maybe been watching for 20 years <laughs> We've seen these kinds of things before, and so it's just not as visceral anymore because... You've been hurt. Yeah. Jaded. And for others that maybe are in some of the more nascent communities that have only been around for a few years, things have been pretty stable. It's been good times for a while, and they haven't really had a, a change and a shift like this before, and so I think it's like their first go-around. And so when you hear a lot of, like, the spirits of open source has been violated, those arguments getting tossed around, I think it's from folks that have kind of detached from, like, the long-term history of Red Hat and maybe weren't here during the Fedora core transition or haven't been here different rail changes for subscription. I mean, guys, I used to pay like $10,000 for like one license for a system that had multiple CPU cores. And like, it's crazy. Like the things that Red Hat's always been a company that's been for profit. If you've been watching long enough, you've seen that. But if this is the first time, I think it was pretty, it's pretty intense and uh, kind of gave me some perspective on some of the feedback there. Carl, did you have anything you wanted to add before we move on? No, I can't disagree with any of that, really. I mean, I've been, I've been pretty openly 
supportive of the strategic direction for CentOS with the changes. It was kind of the hiring pitch to bring me in in the first place in 2019, uh, but also at the same time, very critical of the timeline that it was executed on. Um, in my opinion, we should have just start just done CentOS 9 is here early and it's different now. And it would have alleviated a lot of the frustration, the concerns. A lot of people would just used it and not realize the difference. Um, because if it's just, hey, I'm now getting updates sooner and I don't really look at RHEL, I just need an OS that works mm. and, you know, is supported for multiple years, then, you know, a CentOS 9 in that manner would have been just fine. Um, and very occasionally they would notice, hey, this doesn't exactly match RHEL. Oh, CentOS is slightly different now. I think that would have been a lot better way to execute it. Instead, we ended up having to do the rush timeline. We had to do do an upstream and downstream variant of eight. And that just, that was kind of the original sin that just cascaded all of this other stuff and set us up for failure later on. Then later, eventually we pulled out entirely of the downstream model for eight and it set the end of life date much shorter than everyone expected. That was obviously messed up and I didn't agree with, but um, it's all over now. Can't change it. And uh <laughs> Just look forward to, you know, that strategic direction I talked about where CentOS is actually a collaborative community where you can help build the OS uh, rather than just getting your bug reports closed as, you know, reproducible on rail won't fix. Carl, I want to say uh, almost every time I popped into some JB chats this week, you were there as a longtime community member, just kind of talking with people and sharing kind of perspective and experience around this topic. So I just want to say a big thanks from everybody for doing that. Yeah, of course. And I don't mind people being upset about the change. What uh, what will get me is when they don't understand the change and they're mad. They at least be mad about the right things. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a tagline for the show right there. At least be mad about the right things. And now it is time for Le Boost. All right. We got some great boosts into the show this week. DJ Hunter 67 came in with 432,325. That's our baller. Hey! Coming in with a fresh Podverse app, he writes, here's to more community support to do less. I'm convinced that you have the pedigree to produce quality you're suggesting while reducing overall workload. Well, what a sweetheart. DJ, I hope this support helps maintain a healthy mental health standard and lower the stress. Uh, by the way, every time you mention 18 years, when you make your case, you have me at hello. And the last five digits are also my zip code. Uh-oh, West Payne, bust out the map. Okay, uh, I was looking around. I'm less sure about this than, than we normally are. Uh, the last five would be 32325. Maybe maybe that's a zip code in Tallahassee, Florida, or Morocco, or Ukraine. And then if I've got this wrong and it should be the first five, then that's Franklin County, Ohio. So are any of those right? Anyway, only way to find out is if DJ follows up and lets us know. I hope so. But uh, thank you. Thank you for... Uh, Thank you for the kind words. My hope, too, is, you know, don't fall into the trap of going horizontal to add inventory and then just slam as many ads as you can in there. My hope is to focus on a on a on something that is more thoughtful and uh, kind of always been our, our overall trend line that we're always kind of getting to. So I just think it's kind of a continuation of that. At least at least that's my hope. We'll see how it goes. Sir Alex Gates, the podcasting 2.0 consultant, comes in with 50,001 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. Coming in from Podverse across two sats, the first boost goes, I use Snicket in Docker to self-host my XMPP server. Oh, all right. Uh, 
Okay. All right. He says it's nice. It's got some sane self-configured defaults and modules. I, he's, you know, Alex is actually kind of getting me wanting to set up an XMPP server. He says if you want to customize your install for whatever reason, it's probably better to just use the Prostody, P-R-O-S-O-D-Y, Prostody directly, and then use the configuration that Snicket provides. Clients are all over the place, but I use Dino on the desktop and I use Conversations on Android. And then he continued in the next in the next boost. Matt J, the founder of Prosody and Snicket, has a great Mastodon thread on the entire topic. It's too long, it's too long to paraphrase, so he linked it to us. So we'll throw a link to that. It's a good conversation on that. So this is fascinating to see this cross intersection of XMPP and ActivityPub and potentially the Lightning Network for using these technologies for cross application comments and. I don't know, man. There's it's it's going somewhere, and I'm feeling like maybe I have a little FOMO on XMPP again. We're getting a JBXMPP server going, huh? Maybe we should have always had one. Maybe, Wes. maybe so. That's what I'm feeling like. Is like, why did we even screw around with Telegram? Why did we even mess around with Matrix? Why didn't we just go with good old easy XMPP? I don't understand what we just like skipped right over it. I mean, I do like Matrix, but. Was there an era where maybe clients hadn't really kept up, especially I'm thinking with the Telegram side, maybe less relevant for the Matrix, but you know, yeah. Element was always at least on the Element side has always seemed to be aiming towards a similar goal. Whereas if you're just, you know, if you're using one of the more common, at least back in the day, XMPP clients on the desktop, you're having a little more of a different experience. Maybe an experience you like better because it's simple and direct. Is this like a passive aggressive attack on Pigeon? Like- no, hey, I, I like Pigeon. <laughs> I'm pro Pigeon here. All right, all right. A DeVries 17, or is it a DevRise 17? I never know. I believe it's Adversaries. Oh. Adversaries 18. He's in the mumble room, so he could actually technically clarify. But (laughs) Well, now I feel real embarrassed. Yeah, you're saying it right in front of him, Brent, so get it right. Friends, jeez. 50,000 sats through Podverse. Coming in hot with the boost. Boosted in, uh, hey. I've been listening to the Windows Unplugged clip that you shared in Linux Unplugged 500, and I'm cracking up. As a sysadmin for a primarily Windows shop, I definitely can relate to some of it. Trying to catch up on the Linux Unplugged after a few months of being behind. Please, keep it up. Well, thank you for boosting it on the back catalog, sir. That's awfully kind of you. Appreciate that. And uh, I don't know if it's real, but have you guys all seen this huge graphic dome that's in Vegas right now that has all the cool effects Mm -hmm. and stuff? I don't know if this is real. But this morning on social media, I saw it going. I saw a, a picture of it going around with the Windows blue screen, and then and everybody in the comments are like, "Should have used Linux." Oh, I hope it's real, guys. I hope it's real. It just really is. It's it's a punchline, but it's a beautiful one. Tux MM comes in with twenty six thousand seven hundred and seventy eight sats. Nice. I wonder yeah. if that represents something. That's uh, well, that's actually over two boosts. One of uh, which was a row of ducks. Aha. Okay. And then another twenty four five five six uh, boosting over at the podcast index. One of them's just a monthly contribution. So thank you, Tux MM. Thank you. We have a few folks doing that now that are sending their monthly membership via Boost. Appreciate that. And then in our row of ducks, we've got what I like about NixOS. I use FFmpeg or YouTube DL once on a blue moon. When I need those tools, I do Nix shell dash B FFmpeg, and I have the latest FFmpeg available for the job. When done, I just type exit, and I don't have to worry about rarely used software taking up space on the hard drive or mucking up the system. If I really need said tool on a regular basis, then I'll add it to my NixOS configuration.nix. Happy NixOS user. 
absolutely one of the best features. It's just nix-shell-p, name of package, and it will pull all the dependencies down and create a little environment where it's in the path, and you can run it till your heart's content, and then you just close the terminal, and it's gone. I love it so much exactly for that, because you guys that are longtime listeners know that I'm always installing different apps for the show, and so if I get a Linux box that's been around for a while, it's got hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of apps installed that I very rarely remove. It's been especially gross on like long-lived Debian-based yes. systems where you have all these mm, PDAs yes. and other things <laughs> on there, yes. different app repos. It is a Ooh. thing. And so this has just been a game changer. And also, I'll add in, you know, because we were talking about immutable systems today, Tux, one of my favorite things is that I can mix and match from stable and unstable. So you could have a fully, you know, quote-unquote stable NixOS base but you could maybe have the unstable version of Gnome Shell or the unstable version of Chrome installed. But everything else is stable package. Or flip that and reverse it. You could have a pure, raw, unstable NixOS where everything's coming in, slamming in, just like latest willy-nilly. But then a couple of packages, those are stable. Like whatever it might be. Maybe it's your, you know, critical app. You get that from stable and you can mix and match like that on top of having this Nix Shell P thing where you can just sort of create an ephemeral environment, pull in the dependencies, build the app, put it in the path and run it and then disappear. Like you can, on top of having the mix and match of stable and unstable. I especially like that for when I'm just uh, squatting on someone else's machine or troubleshooting on someone else's machine, using it for a bit, borrowing it. We've used it to experiment with the OBS machine to like try newer versions of the kernel and the video drivers and OBS and even Plasma. We tried Plasma 6 on the OBS machine randomly one night and then just rolled back. You know, this whole idea, Chris, of having like a variety of packages from different stability trees, just and we've come a really long way from the dependency hell of like the <laughs> early 2000s. Do you remember? It yeah. was just like, I remember trying it when I was younger and I was just like, oh, I just don't have the skills to keep my system in one piece. Back in my day, we used URPMI to actually resolve our RPM dependencies. And then Yellow Dog Linux came around and they really changed the game. <laughs> Exactly. All right, why don't you try this next one? Because I think you're the only guy that has a shot at pronouncing this. Well, see, I don't know if I have this right, but I'm, I think I'm going to give it a shot. And I'd love to hear you, Chris, give it a shot, too. We'll see. Oh, oh man. Wait, maybe right, well, you should go I, first. I don't want to change your efforts. All right, yeah. Okay. Kayaka uh, Kikakuki <laughs> comes in with 25,011 sats. All right, what do you think, Fred? You How would you pronounce it? it? No, I, you should... <laughs> I just love you, so I'm trying to help you out here. Oh, okay. All right. I was thinking maybe it might be uh, – let me uh, just pause here to make sure I'm I'm reading this properly. Kaikiko Kuki? Hmm. That's the best I've got. All right. All right. 25,011 sats. B-O-O-S-T. Thanks for all the – he writes, thanks for all the great content over the year. The first time I listened to Linux Unplugged, a guy had a bad appendix problem. And I thought, what's this Linux podcast really about? Now I can't wait for new episodes to come out and hear you all talk about Linux stuff. Times are tough. I can't help much, but hopefully this helps a little. P.S. More NixOS stuff, please. Flakes, secret management, etc. And also plus one for me singing the outro at the end. Yeah, I, I uh, boy, man. I'll plus two into that. That, that whole kidney thing. I can't believe I was so dumb. And uh, I almost died in a hotel room in Texas. And you know what? I don't know if I've ever made it clear on air. I did get myself checked out at a local hospital before I'd left because I suspected like I had been sick for three weeks at that point. Uh, and I, and I, uh, 
you know, they looked at me and they said, you're fine. You're, you're good to travel. And then I went down in Texas and then I almost died. So, cause I think I was like th- over three weeks, totally ruptured. It was just, it was horrible. Yeah. So you guys really stepped up, did the show without me. The show went on and we didn't miss a beat. So how about that? That is pretty dang impressive. Splint comes in with 22,000 sats. Thank you, sir. From Podverse and writes, uh, thank you, Carl. The insider perspective is often way more useful to the insights or decisions like this. Uh, at As of this moment, while reading all the let's switch to Debian flame war, I'm switching my development and my company and my laptop to RHEL. Such great insight and knowledge should not be disregarded. It's always useful to know both sides of a conversation before making a decision. Yeah. Yeah. I know we've already mentioned it, but yeah, I was just really grateful for Carl's perspective. Love it. Getting some of those little tidbits really helped put it all into perspective. Our buddy Nev boosts in with 20,000 sats to remind us that Ohio Linux Fest is September 8th and 9th. Yes. Thank you for the reminder, September 8th and 9th. And uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. You guys can also find it at offconference.org. Oh, right. Is it OLF? OLFconference.org, I think is what it is. We'll put a link in the notes. Mr. Jeff, listener Jeff, comes in with 10,000 beautiful sats Aww. from the podcast index. I found the GFX card I have is not only a good value, but works well with stable diffusion. Hey, nice. So check out, he says, the AMD 6700 XT. It's got 12 gigs of RAM, and it goes for around $330. None of the CUDA stuff, but none of the NVIDIA driver mess either. That's my thinking too, Jeff. That's You got your trade-offs right there. Yep, yep, yep. I'm trying to decide. I've... You know, I could keep going the easy stable diffusion route and and just spend 300 bucks on a GPU. Or there's also now a couple of like pretty good hosted stable diffusion type uh-huh, generators. That's that, how they get you. And they have newer models and stuff like that. And it's like, so do you spend $300 up front and use easy stable diffusion and then like a lot more manual stuff to keep it current? Or do you spend that money over a couple of years and just use a generator? I haven't decided yet. I, aren't you involved with some sort of show about hosting things at a particular location? Yeah, maybe that would be a good justification to go that route. <laughs> I always got to make sure it makes sense, though. No, of course. We got a boost in from Magnolia Mayhem, 10,000 sats, and it simply says, oops, all fixed. Yeah, Chris, thank do you. you know, do you know what this is in reference well, to? I think the mistake was not boosting, and now uh, that mistake's been, oh, no. been rectified. This is in this is I believe uh, in response to the catercloud dot me yeah. website. I know. Oh, I like my version so much oh. better. Yeah. yeah. So you're he, just being clever. Mayhem member is trying to get some early data for the tuxies, and we should put another link to his website in the show notes again because he does have it up and running. So go check that out. Catercloud dot me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Mayhem. Gene Bean came in with 8,540 sats across three boosts. It's great to hear from you, Gene Bean. And he wanted to pass congrats to you, Brent, on the new gig at Nextcloud. If anybody missed last week's episode, Brent's got a job at Nextcloud. Hence the Berlin trip. You know, I got last week a lot of just like DMs from folks in Matrix saying, hey, congrats. So thank you to everyone who sent some kind regards that, um, yeah, means a lot to me, actually. So thank you. And maybe we changed Gene Bean's mind a little bit. He said, I have to back off my previous stance on the Red Hat change. After listening to all the context provided in this episode, I think there's some legitimately valid points here. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Alma and the like. Have you guys seen the Conshack support page, by the way? This is so cool. You can create, and this is for new podcasters, this could be great too. You can create a little support page where people can 
uh, contribute with just like a web GUI uh, for Lightning. Oh, this does look nice. Isn't that cool? Isn't that pretty cool? So uh, we're going to try to do this. I kept forgetting for the last couple episodes. We're going to try to be radically transparent about uh, the boost. So we made this episode 658,855 sats. Thank you, everybody who boosted in. It was 13 boosters total across 17 boosts. Not every single boost makes it on air, but we do read every single one of them. And then we enshrine them in the show document for all of eternity. It'll be in a tomb one day, maybe on a satellite. I don't know. I haven't decided, but I'm thinking a sat, like a sat cube, like an open source sat cube with like a hard drive that's got all the files. That'll be my legacy and my ashes. So your boosts are going to die with me. How about that? Thanks for boosting it. Uh, if you'd like to boost into the show, you got two paths. You can go to podcastapps.com and you can grab a new podcast app that has all the cool podcasting tutorial features like transcripts and chapters and, of course, boosts and live stream support. But if you really love your podcast app and you're not ready to change yet, you can actually just boost from the web. Got to get the Albi extension at getalbi.com, right? Getalbi.com and then head over to the podcastindex.org and look for Linux Unplugged. We'll put all this in the show notes and then you can boost from the web. And, of course, a big shout out to our members, unpluggedcore.com. You can get an ad-free version of the show or my personal favorite, you get the bootleg feed. You get the whole dang live stream, which is like a whole other show. We put some content in there to thank our members who support us automatically every single month. Unpluggedcore.com for the members. We have a life-changing pick this week. Um, We probably could have made the whole episode about this pick and then just probably could have had a good share sesh about how this has changed our lives and uh, how we feel emotionally about that. But instead, we just relegated this to the pick segment, so that way you can have that moment of reflection on your own after you've listened to this episode. And uh, in the spirit of the show, it is a snap pick as well. In fact, it's not even packaged in Nick's. And you found this very special pick, Wes. That's right. It's Bob Ross quotes. (laughs) A collection (laughs) of Bob Ross quotes that you can have in your terminal Every time you want one. I mean, you could put it in your message of the day if you want, or you can just get a Bob Ross quote on demand. And don't worry, they do an ASCII art generation of his epic hair. Oh, this one sounds like it's talking about the show. Quote, we don't really know where this goes, and I'm not sure we really care. I like this one. However you think it should be. That's exactly how it should be. You know, what? just happy little clouds. You just got to smack the devil out of it sometime. You know, you just got to smack the devil out of it. Now, unfortunately, this is a command line app, so it's one of the stamps I didn't get working on. Oh, uh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, unfortunately, that's one of the things I love about it. And, and it's, of course, 100% written in Python. So yeah. so the nice part is it's uh, just a handy-dandy little Python library so you can take yep. it with you. Yeah. There you go. Right? I mean, life-changing kind of pick. Just when you need a moment of Bob Ross inspiration. Have you, ever, you guys ever tried Bob Ross to fall asleep? Yeah, it's lovely. It's great. It's great. Put that on there. Fall asleep and dream of immutable desktops. We have a very interesting future ahead of us. And, you know, in a weird way, over the last 10 years, especially as Systemd landed and so much functionality and like Xorg and the kernel just got automatic. Um, Linux distros really are only now really defined by where they put things on the file system and how they package and you install them. That's like their biggest differentiator. And what default uh, DE they ship. But now, with this race to an immutable desktop, we are seeing radically different approaches to the genuine system architecture, right? Like the Ubuntu core desktop immutable system is not built anything like Silverblue is. And so your expertise on Silverblue is not applicable 
to the Ubuntu Core desktop snap or, you know, Nix. Like none of those apply to Nix either. Nix is a very different take on this. And Seuss with Butterfest Snapshots is a very different take. They're all doing their own very unique thing in a way. I don't think we've seen this kind of deviation from each other in a long time. And you have to imagine on the long scale, it'll probably start to come back together again, like long, long term. But we are in a brand new phase and it's going to be fascinating to watch who gets to the most usable desktop today. I mean, I'm daily driving NixOS desktop. I know a lot of people are, but who gets to mass appeal, mass adoption first? And it seems like if, you know, you're looking at the contenders here, Canonical's got a fair shot. If they can make all this work a little bit smoother and just polish up those rough edges, which they stick with it, I think they will. Will Brent be using it by this time next year? Yeah. Listen and find out. It's going to be something to watch over the long term. So we'll keep an eye on it, let you guys know what we think. And of course, we're looking forward to seeing all of you at Linux Fest Northwest. If you can make it, it's going to be on October. Details at linuxfestnorthwest.org. We'll be there. We'll be doing a live show. We'll be probably doing a little cookout. And uh, if you want a little more show, don't forget we get together every single Sunday. We've got Mumble going, which is an open source Opus low latency chat app. And you can get a. And there's a snap of it. <laughs> yeah, you can get a snap of it. You absolutely can. And you can join us live and get a low latency stream. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Otherwise, just head on over to linuxunplugcom slash subscribe. Get the feed and you can listen to the episode whenever you want after we publish it. Or the pro tip, you can get the all shows feed at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We got a lean, mean crew of shows now. So it's not going to blast your podcast player and you get all our great shows in one feed. The all shows feeds at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Links to what we talked about today. Why wow, that's over at linuxunplugcom slash 518. Contact page is over there as well and all the other goodies you might need. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday.